0: Impact. Real human interest stories ranging from the ordinary to the truly extraordinary. Disclaimer. The opinions expressed by the guest and interviewee and those providing comments are theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of VX3 Exchange or any employee thereof. VX3 Exchange is not responsible for accuracy of any of the information supplied by the guest. It is not the intention of VX3 Exchange to malign any community, religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.
1: Hello, this is Fatima Hussein, and you're listening to Season 2 of IMPACT, the programme which introduces you to extraordinary human interest stories from around Canada. Kristen Levine is a lawyer with a practice. He was subjected to police brutality and beaten up for, as he says, no reason at all. Kristen was at university at the time. According to Kristen, many members of marginalised communities are not aware of the type of resources available to them when they encounter such situations. Kristen, therefore, knew he wanted to be a lawyer and offer people more than just legal advice.
0: I'm Christian Levine, and I'm a lawyer with a practice based out of Brampton, Ontario. I went to York University. I took public policy and administration there, and when I graduated, I went off to the University of Ottawa, and that's where I practiced at their faculty of law. What inspired me to get into law was I saw the way in which I'd say members of my community, uh, but also a lot of those I grew up with. I saw the relationship which they had with policing, which they had with the state. And I hoped that if I could gain some type of power, if you will, through the practice of law, I could help to empower other individuals who are around me. I remember when I was in my first year and I had a job, I was coming home late from work one day coming out to Brampton and I got stopped by an officer and an officer, he began questioning me. He said, what's your name? Where are you off? And I asked him, I said, why is there a problem? He turned and he threw me on the ground and another officer, he started searching me and for me. It was a traumatic experience. It's something I never imagined would happen to me. I remember looking up and I was screaming out for help from passerbyers. Like there was a a gas station that was basically right there. I was screaming out for help and people kind of just walked past. And I guess it's because they assumed the worst. Maybe they assumed that I was a criminal. So these officers, they threw me in the patrol car and and finally they let me go. And I remember calling my dad from a payphone and saying, dad, you won't believe what just happened to me. Like these cops, they just came. They essentially beat me up for no reason reason. And my dad, when he finally came to pick me up from the gas station, he was kind of disempowered too. There wasn't much that he could do. Uh, He didn't know what step to take. Do you go to the police and complain? Do you go to a lawyer and complain? Do you go to the media? What I find, just on behalf of my community, when I say my community, I'm referring to like the black community here in Toronto. Unfortunately, a lot of us, because we, we lack either the education or even the social capital, we don't know what resources are available to us when we face these types of situations. So going through the process of seeking justice, of going through the Human Rights Tribunal, as well as the what was known as the OIPRD, which is basically like the public complaints process. I had to learn a lot about the legal system, really had to advocate for myself. But I also began to learn where a lot of the pitfalls in the justice system were. And the fact that our legal system, unfortunately, is not fair for those who lack the education or otherwise lack the resources. And I'd say that's a huge reason why I decided that law school is the best place for me to go, that hopefully the type of injustice I suffered, other people wouldn't have to go through that. Throughout my time in undergrad and in law school, I've, I've always tried my best to be in a position where I not only educated myself, but I quickly educated those around me because I, I understood the importance of leveraging my position to uplift my friends, my family. And I continue to do that to this day. The beauty of having a law firm in which I'm an owner, it allows me to dictate resources. It allows me to employ others. It allows me to really make decisions that not only benefit my clients, but I think really benefit benefit those who work for me. It allows me to empower others. It really allows me to lead by example. Growing up, I often thought to myself or asked myself, why my family or even my friends, not to say that we were like destitute, but why we weren't doing as well as others, why we couldn't take part in society to the same degree as others. It really made me question what the institutional circumstances are that were at play that led to kind of our socioeconomic condition. And I'd say I've really become a student of business, of law, policing, and the justice system came to realize that when you talk about issues such as the over incarceration of black individuals or even the over policing of black communities, these are systemic problems and systemic problems require systemic solutions. So fast forward to law school. I remember sitting in classes in my criminal class and just listening to some of the things said by my peers. And I should say I love the university faculty of law, but some of the statements made by my classmates would show that there was such a disconnect between their understanding of the criminal justice system and the way it, in fact, operated. I remember we were once having a talk about police brutality and students sat in my class and they said, well, does this really happen? And I had to put my hand up and be like, actually, I myself was a victim of police brutality. So of course it happens. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not until somebody close to them is a victim of police brutality or someone close to them it faces some sort of injustice that they come to accept that there's definitely an issue that's there, that policing as a system needs to be fixed. I wrapped up law school. I had the opportunity to work at this fantastic criminal law firm I went on to uh, create an application, a mobile application called Legal Swipe. And Legal Swipe was an app that educated people on their rights as they pertain to police. And I had a lot of, I'd say almost an overwhelming amount of support from the community by and large. Uh, organizations like the Ontario Justice Education Network, other lawyers, and a lot of individuals in the community were supportive of what I was doing. Again, this is something that was created because I, I knew the importance of just educating other individuals so they themselves could help overturn what is often an unjust system. So I I created the app and it had this wild response, like it went viral. But over time, I came to realize that because this was a systemic issue, which I was fighting, this was only one part of the solution. And that's why it was so important to me to be able to create a law firm. My law firm, Levine Law, were based in Brampton, right across from the Brampton Courthouse. And we started off doing criminal work it was great to be able to defend individuals so i was kind of doing two parts now i was educating them on the one side and on the other side i was defending individuals that were charged of crime though so i had to do more so we expanded we started doing personal injury and we started representing those individuals that had been brutalized by police I'm happier where things are now. It's like we're fighting the issues on all fronts. And as the firm has begun to grow, as I've been able to hire lawyers, as I've been able to really grow a staff, it's allowed me to kind of take this multifaceted approach to fighting injustice, to fighting police brutality. I'm blessed, but I'm able to share that blessing. I'm able to, again, uplift those around me, uplift my community. I'll tell you something even simple. Just yesterday, I had a client and his mom was really worried about him. He was a young offender, just getting in a bit of trouble. And I, I guess he's in his troublesome teenage years. And she said, Chris, I look at you as a role model. Is there anything you could do to help? Could he even hang with you after hours or after work, whatever? And I said, I can't quite do that. But yesterday I got the chance to take him to the college fair. And it was nice just to see the way that he interacted, not just with the representatives that were there, but also the way in which he relayed information to me. And we had like an honest talk about his future and what he wants to do with it. I'll tell you, you can't put a price on that. There's nothing better than that. Law school for me was exceptionally difficult, but a large part of that was I was in Ottawa and Ottawa culturally is much different than Toronto. I think the best word I used to describe Ottawa culture is stagnant. And that's because it's a city predominantly made up of government workers and students and because it's hellishly cold. Say I've gained my, my, my voice and my sense of self because I was required to. I knew that I was given certain opportunities that weren't afforded to my peers and my contemporaries. It would be wrong for me to have this privilege and these opportunities and not go on to try to empower those who may not be be afforded the same opportunities. There's that Spider-Man quote, with, with great power comes great responsibility. That's how I genuinely feel. You gotta wield your power correctly and you gotta be very intentional in what you do. And that's what allowed me to gain a certain type of confidence in myself. When I was young, I grew up with my mom and i remember bouncing from school to school and it made it really difficult to form a relationship i went to i think eight different schools by the time i was done elementary looking back i could view that and say well that's that's a housing security issue but at the time i wasn't able to describe what the problem was when I was challenging the police, when I went through the public complaints process, they assign a lawyer who's basically a police lawyer. So on some days, these lawyers represent the police. And on other days, they rep- seem to represent members of the public. Or, or rather, this lawyer, I, I think specifically she was responsible for bringing, bringing complaints from the public and, and representing members of the public when they faced police and I remember she took a very lackadaisical approach towards my case, and it was bad enough that I was brutalized by police, but then to have the one person who's supposed to be in my corner as a lawyer who's supposed to be fighting for me, to feel that they don't care about my case, not only was it hurtful, but it just made me feel like the whole process was futile. It wasn't until I remember my actual, the actual trial against the police or the, the hearing against the police, it lasted two days. I remember when she was done her cross-examination on the second day, they said, well, you sir do you want the opportunity to question the police? I said, yeah, I'm going to take them up on it. And I remember I just peppered the police with questions. I was much younger at the time, but I just peppered the police with questions. I had so many questions and I was able to really show the inconsistencies. And my, my questions probably got me a lot farther than that lawyer did. The funny kind of ironic twist to that story is when I went off to law school in Ottawa, it turned out that the police chief in Ottawa was actually the husband of the lawyer who represented me in front of the board. And it just showed me how very corrupt the system was. Like, how's that not an obvious conflict? Or at least how's there not a perception of a conflict which is there? The statement that Black people are most likely to be injured or killed by police is absolutely true. And it resonates with what I see in my practice. Before I was even called as a lawyer, I got a lot of really timely, I don't know, lucky chances to do important advocacy work. I remember in Brampton, there was a gentleman named Jermaine Carby who was shot and killed by police. And before I was even called to being a lawyer, I had to serve as his legal counsel before the special investigations unit. And hearing the descriptors given by police and their explanation of the events that led to his untimely death, it just showed me how often Black people, black males in particular, but black people as a whole. We're often demonized by police, especially in our interactions. Unfortunately, when a member of our community is hurt or killed, they're often the ones to be put on trial. And now I see it in my practice, where even when amongst a large group of people, unfortunately, police often focus their investigation on those who are black. I think partially because they're assumed to be criminal, but also partially because police know that black people are less likely to have the resources to hold them accountable or to have the knowledge to ask the right questions. I often give the example of John Tory. A lot of people don't know John Tory is a lawyer and John Tory's father's a lawyer and his father was a lawyer. And they have one of the largest law firms in Canada, the name of which is Tories. And I do a lot of, I'd say community education that's specific to legal rights. And during these conversations, I often ask, if you put yourself in the shoes of a police officer, if you knew that the person you were stopping, there was a possibility that their father and their grandfather was a lawyer. Would you want to go stop them? Or are you going to be more likely to stop that person who's a disenfranchised individual, who's a marginalized individual, who may be afraid of the system itself or who doesn't know their rights? And I would say you'd likely stop the latter. But that's why it's so important that we educate ourselves, but not just educate ourselves. That's like kind of step one. Step two is we have to hold police to account. The system's not perfect, and it's never going to be perfect, but we, at the very least, have to try and seek justice through the system. What does that mean? It means suing the police when necessary. It means making sure that if you're charged, that you're getting the best legal representation that's there. And it means hitting the police in their pockets. Economically, economics dictates a lot of things. And... If police were to know that every single time they wrongfully stopped or carded, however you want to call it, an individual, that it was money directly coming out of their pockets, you'd see an absolute and profound change in the way which policing takes place. Right now, policing is based on quotas. It's a quota system. If people don't believe me, they could just look it up uh, online. Because it's a quota-based system, that means police have to go about stopping a certain amount of individuals. They're required to in order for them to lay charges. So it's not a question as to whether police are going to stop individuals, but it's a question of who are they gonna stop? When are they gonna stop them. If police were to be disciplined when they wrongly stopped individuals, then it would be a much different type of system. You'd have one where police are questioning why they're stopping an individual and whether it's worth stopping an individual, knowing what may result if that person doesn't deserve to be stopped. What I'm seeing is there's a change, I think, in public sentiment. The media is now addressing issues of police brutality, getting more coverage than it was historically. But also there's changes in technology now. A lot of instances of police brutality and police killings are being caught on video. So it's giving the community as a whole the opportunity to really see that police are lying from day to day in order to justify their actions. So I think that helps for kind of changing the power imbalance. What I also see though is there's more access to education. I know Community Legal Education Ontario, they actually have a website that covers like a whole plethora of legal issues. One of which is interacting with police. And now that people have Google available to them, it makes a lot easier for them to quickly educate themselves. Albeit there is some wrong information that is out there. But still, they could get a general gist of what they should be doing. And when they have that education, it allows them to be much more confident. But I also think it changes the interactions you have. When you walk up to an officer, or an officer walks up to you rather, and begins questioning you, and you immediately respond to that officer asking, look, am I being arrested? Am I being detained? The officer has to question themselves and ask a few questions about who exactly is it that they're interacting with. You had to understand the fact that when a community is over policed, that they're gonna be charged more than others. And when they're charged more than others, they end up in the criminal justice system more than others. And many times those same people cannot afford the same type of representation or the same level of representation or advocacy as others, which results in them being convicted at higher rates. Outsiders might just look at it and say, oh, well, clearly this group or this subset of individuals is more criminal than others, but that's not necessarily the case. You really have to break it down to kind of its individual components and analyze each of them to really gain an appreciation of what's happening. If you have knowledge, it's your job to share it with others. Knowledge really is power. It's our collective job to educate our youth. And I'm sure we've made mistakes in our time or there are certain things that we didn't know, but it's important that we use those experiences to help educate others.
1: That was Kristen Levine sharing his story. You can now access Impact online on SoundCloud and Spotify at Vibe105TO. And before we leave, we'd like to extend our thanks to Kristen Levine and VX3Exchange.
0: Impact is a production of VX3Exchange, featuring the stories of extraordinary people, sharing their stories again and again at vx3exchange.com or our social platforms at VX3Exchange.